Hey everyone, I'm Joe Chicarone, and this is Built Not Born, episode 99. Today, the tables are turned. My podcasting coaches, Corey Slosher Hall and Boston Blake, interview me. The script is flipped. They each host their own podcast. Corey is from Washington State. Boston lives in Northern California. They talked me in to interviewing me. This was initially done for the 60th episode. We sat down last summer, but I chickened out for about 30 weeks on posting this. As we get close to episode 100, it's time to post. Corey and Boston are both more smooth and eloquent with the English language than I am. They asked some great questions about the podcast, about growing up, about how I met my wife. It is a fun conversation. It is definitely the most uncomfortable of all 99 episodes. I am not comfortable talking about myself. They were able to convince me to do it for about 40 minutes. They asked some very thought-provoking questions. So I hope you enjoy. If you like what you hear, hit that follow button. We have a bunch of cool interviews to come, especially next week. We sit down with the one and only Seth Godin, international best-selling author of 21 books. Seth drops a wealth of knowledge. But until then, please enjoy Corey Slosher Hall and Boston Blake. Turn the tables and interview me for episode number 99. And remember, life is built. Not born. You guys ready? Oh, this is going to be fun. Why am I nervous? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, friends, my name is Corey Schlosser Hall, and I'm here with my good friend, Boston Blake. Boston, say hi. Hi, I'm Boston Blake. I am the host of the podcast Mythic, a podcast about meaningful living through the power of myth and a good friend of these guys. And I am the host of the On the Verge podcast, which actually concluded its final episode last January, but it's awesome. So go listen. We are here with the amazing Built Not Born podcaster, Joe Chicarone. Joe, you get to be our guest today on your own podcast. What do you think about that? I wouldn't say that I'm nervous. I'm only concerned. How about that? Yeah. How's, already, how's your I'm, stomach? How's I'm your all, stomach? I tell you what, uh, 55 episodes in, and I have not been this nervous for any of them. So uh, I appreciate you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So we're turning the tables on Joe today. The three of us met in a podcasting workshop called Pod 7. And so Boston and I are on the West Coast. I'm in the Seattle area. Boston's in the Bay Area. And we have what's affectionately known as no accent. And Joe Chicarone, <laughs> however, has an accent and we love it. So, Joe, bring it, bring the whole Philly vibe today. Okay. We're going to bring is great. It. Let's go. We have so admired you and your podcasting. You're on episode almost, this might be episode 60. Does that sound right? I think I'm going to save this one for 60. Absolutely. This is the Built Not Born podcast. So, Joe, as your listeners get familiar more with you as a guest, tell us a little bit about where you grew up. First off, Boston and Corey, I appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, this It's pretty weird to be on the other side. Hey, where I grew up, grew up born in Narstown, PA. Grew up with a great family. My dad worked for the Department of Defense for 38 years. 
actually got nominated in their Hall of Fame. If you go down to Fort Belvoir, which is a big fort in Great Pass, DC and Virginia, I actually got nominated the Department of Defense Hall of Fame as a civilian. My mom, awesome. She's so cool. And I grew up with two brothers. I'm the oldest of three in a crazy Italian You're the house. oldest. Yeah, oldest. Yeah, I got two younger brothers grew up in a crazy Italian house. Sometimes we yelled, sometimes we spoke, sometimes we screamed. <laughs> a lot of talking <laughs> with the hands, a lot of good food, a whole cast of characters growing up. So it's uh, it was definitely an interesting uh, childhood. Hey, I got a dinner question for you, but first, what were some of the sports athletics activities that you liked to do when you were a kid? And did you ever beat up your brothers? First off, baseball. Love baseball growing up. Big Phillies fan. Till my head cleared, I thought I was going to play second base for the Phillies growing up. It was like my childhood dream. Actually, hold on. Till my head cleared? What do you mean? Oh, until I woke up. I'm like, all right, there's no one five foot five is going to make the major league who can't hit a curveball. You know, (laughs) I couldn't hit a curveball. But I was lucky enough. I did play for one fall season in Bloomsburg University, Division II school. Played a fall season, which was really cool. Made some lifelong friends there. I think we'll touch on that later. But uh, nice. yeah, in basketball, also to eighth grade, the season ends, uh, the career ends, not the season, not just the season, but the career ends at eighth grade when you're the five foot five point guard and you can't dribble left-handed. So the, 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 <laughs> the career ends pretty quick there. I could shoot foul shots. Uh, I don't know if that, to be embarrassed about this or claim the fame. I would be on the bench. I'd make the B-level travel all-star team for basketball at seventh, eighth grade. And yeah. um, I'd sit on the bench, but when we would get a technical foul, you could put anyone in. They would literally put me in to shoot the technical foul shots. Then I would sit back down. So I was like, I was, I, I was like money on, I'm still money on the foul line. As long as no one's in my face and I got time, I, I like, I'll drain like eight, nine and 10 still, but I still, I can't dribble and not really the, <laughs> not, not really the rebounder, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> oh, this is so good. I have to ask you a question and then I'm going to turn it over Boston. You go ahead and ask a few questions. Tell us about the name of your podcast, Built Not Born. Where did that come from? Why did you choose it? What inspires you about it? Yeah. We all started in this pod seven workshop with Seth Godin and Alexandra De Palma, who's awesome, who's actually, I was lucky enough to interview a few episodes back. And episode you know, number 50, y'all go yeah, back and listen. That's right. Number 50. She's a baller. She's just awesome. And anyway, so we're doing it. And I joined knowing that I had no idea what I was going to podcast about. It wasn't going to be about sports, jujitsu, parenting. I had no idea. I knew podcasting scared the heck out of me for years. And I stayed away because it scared me. I'm like, wow, what would I talk about? Nobody would listen. If they did listen, they'd probably laugh. You know what I mean? It would just be like, it would just be so like, like my ego kept me away. And I had a blog for a while, but then I got to the point I took the blog as far as I could take it. I'm like, you know what? Podcasting scares me. Let's do that. That is the background. You jump into that course. And at some point, you have to figure out what your podcast is going to be on. And I'm like, what can I do for a long time? What would interest me? I couldn't do something that I I had passing interest because I know this would be a little bit of work. And I'm like, I'm kind of naturally curious. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'm sometimes one of the more curious people in the room. Like, why do you do it this way? Why can't we do it the other way? I was going to call it like, evolve or die. Like something like I, I'm always trying to get a little bit better each day. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> evolve like, I or like, die. I, like, I, like evolution. I love it. Yeah. Like evolve or die. I was going to call it. And at the time I Googled it, they show you how to check what podcast had that name. And I go evolve or die. There were like 20 of them. And I'm like, oh, oh seriously? My God. <laughs> yeah. 
And I'm like, whoa, I'm like, I'm not competing with that. Like I'll never, there's just so many of them that were active. And then I'm like, life is, life is created. Life is built. And I just came in my head, you're built. You're not born. You know what? Built, not born. I Googled that and there were like two or three and maybe one was active. There are a whole bunch of see a dead built, not born podcast. No one had longevity. You know what? There's an opening there. So I'm like, cool. I, and I, that was, it was simple as that. There's nothing more or less than that. I was just looking for an angle, uh, something that the kind of representative I was trying to do in the podcast. And uh, I just didn't want to be one of 20. I wanted to be easy to find the small, small, small number of people that were looking for me. I wanted to be easy to find. Does that make sense? So I, I picked something that, that there was an opening with that title. That's great. There's so much in there. I'm, I'm curious about a lot of it. The first thing I want to know is that driving, that curiosity that's always driven you. Where do you think that comes from? What do you think drives you to want to know and explore and study and evolve? Growing up, it took me, I don't know if I would ever articulate it this way, but it's what I felt. I've never been the tallest. I've never been the strongest. I've never been the fastest. I've never been the smartest. I've never been the richest. But I can, I've realized that if you put me somewhere and one thing I do have, and I've always had was energy and endurance, right? I I couldn't out jump people, outrun people, but I can outlast you. And that, if you tag that with like consistently getting better, not making the same mistakes over and over, being in the game, like being in a game with an evolved mindset where I'm trying to get a little bit micro step better each day. In the week two, three, it's no big deal. You can't even notice. But you do that three, four, five, six, 10 years, you're at a completely different level. That's how I would succeed. If you look back, well, if I look back in any part of my life from school to work, jujitsu to career to girlfriends, I did not really have my success till I found a way to stay in the game and work and grow, evolve, fail, work, grow, evolve, fail, repeat the process. And then I know if I'm not naturally curious, I'm going to work at the mall the rest of my life. Like there's just, it's just not going to be there. I don't think I could succeed, not even succeed. I don't think I could not compete at the level that I would like to, if I didn't have that natural curiosity, drive and endurance to grind each day. Absolutely. And now what we're two years and well, two years, 60 episodes into your podcast. Starting with that course, what have you learned? How have you grown? What has your curiosity driven you to during that time? I think one of the things I learned is that you can't learn everything. I think I learned the power of two things. One, focus and the present moment, where if I spin my wheels, oh, there's a squirrel. There's a shiny quarter. Oh, look what's on Netflix now. Oh my gosh, look at that. There's a new Elvis movie. And I'm all over the place. And if you bring me everywhere, I suck. Right? Like you're like, if you said, you're going to, you're like, oh, today, Joe, this week, you're going to do yoga and you're going to play the saxophone and you're going to learn to podcast. And then we're going to teach you how to like do woodwork and then we're going to do jujitsu. And then then we're going to work on X and Y and Z. And the more you spread me out, the horrendous I get. But if you give me one to three things to really focus on, I can be proficient and I can give you my best work. And I think I learned focus in the present moment. And it took me a while to get here, but where I'm at now, it's not perfect. And I still struggle with this every day, but I do probably the best job I've ever done in my life of living in the moment 
where if I make a mistake yesterday, I will learn the lesson. I'll take the heat. I'll take the responsibility, but I'm not dwelling on it. Like, I'm like, I'm like, all right, I did that wrong. If I have to make an apology or fix something, I'm, I'm doing that. Absolutely. But I'm taking the lesson. I'm moving on and I'm not carrying that with me five days from now. Uh, and, Sounds and, like enlightenment. And I'm not worried about, hey, can you come to my party next October 13th? Like, I'm the worst guy to say that. To. I have no idea what I'm doing October 13th. Like, I'll put it on the calendar. Thank you for inviting me. I'll let you know as we get closer. I'm the worst guy to pin down like more than a week in advance. You're like, hey, you want to go to dinner next December 12th? Like, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea what my life's going to be in December 12th, but I appreciate the offer. You know what I mean? I'll put it down and I'll touch base with you closer to the date. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to be in the moment as much as I can. You can't do it all the time, or at least I know I can't do it all the time. But when I do that, I usually find the best version of me is like when my, if I'm on a bike ride with my daughter, I'm talking to her. I'm not thinking about that project for work I got to finish when I'm like quiet on the bike ride. I think that's why I take a lot of notes because I try to clear my head a lot. And when I clear my head, like I'll forget things. So I'll write it down. I have one little book. I write stuff down. Got to do this. Got to do that. Not just write it down. I schedule it. Like I put it in my calendar. I'm like 9 a.m. tomorrow. I'm working on this. And once I put like the two or three things that are burning in my little world down, my head's clear and I could just live in the moment. And that just kills my anxiety, like crushes it. Nice. Nice. So detour. How was the new Elvis movie? Didn't see it yet. My one son saw it, said he loved it. And we've been having Elvis music in our house now, which is pretty cool. I saw the trailer like five times. Elvis, he's the first artist. He's the first book I ever bought. I bought like The Life and Death of Elvis Presley. And it was like the first book I had like seven, eight years old. And, wow. and I remember reading that and doing like a book report on Elvis, like in grade school. But anyway, it's cool. I love his music. I want to blow that question up a little bit. What has the role of music been in your life? Nice. I love, love, love music. Like probably as so many people do. Big U2 fan. Big yes. Stones fan. Tom Petty, like I'm a classic rock dude, but I appreciate the modern stuff a little bit. I'm probably 80, 20, 80, 20 old school, 20%. Like I love Kanye and Jay-Z. They're definitely on my playlist. I love those guys, but like you two. So, so my best you two album. Oh, I got to go Joshua tree, but I love Octung baby. And I wish they did a yes, anniversary. That's my favorite. Who's going to ride your wild horses. The live version just still gives me chills. And I heard it 4 million times. So what role music played in my life? So my wife, the first like date we went on, she's really cool. She's really pretty. I go, I really want to impress her. So I'm like, I'm, I was trying to plan everything out. And I'm like, I need a soundtrack. Cause it was like 40 minutes from where we were driving, picking her up, where we were going and going back. And I'm like, you too. So I made like a YouTube playlist and I just dialed in like 20 favorite YouTube songs on a cassette tape back when you could pop the cassette tape in your car. And I, I made a, dedication, I made man. and I had it like right on the first sign. It might've been streets. Or, or I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Like I had it right. It's hit play. As soon as we got in the car, it came on and we, we just rolled the U2 all night, which is pretty cool. So what did she think of it? I think she likes U2. We went to a U2 concert, our first U2 concert together right before COVID. It was the Joshua Tree uh, 30-year anniversary in Philly. And it was so good. That's <laughs> so nice. So thinking back, speaking of remarkable, remarkable music and other things like that, when you think of your life before 12, what do you think of as the mo defining, most powerful experience that you can remember? 
you know, I, I'll give you, it's like a, a conglomerate of experiences. I'd say I'm from 12, right around that age would be my grandmother's house. So I was lucky. I hit the grandparents lottery. Um, my grandparents from a, my mom's side, kind of like a Sicilian family, their side all came from Sicily. Uh, they're loud. They're funny cast of characters. You could film it, put it right on HBO. Like don't even have to edit it. Just put it right up. And it's like a 10 episode season right off the bat. And it's awesome. Are the, these the Chicarones or are these the other side this, of the family? This would be the uh, Marchese side, the Marchese side. Cool. And uh, my mom's one of five. Each of them have two, three, four kids. Right. So they're just a bunch of characters. And my grandmom would have a Sunday dinner every Sunday for as long as I've been like 40 years. She passed about a decade ago. We would go there two o'clock every Sunday. She would have pasta, chicken cutlets, ravioli. You could smell the garlic by the mailbox. Like you'd be outside, you, you could smell the roasted garlic in the mailbox. And we would go and we would eat like we we're going to prison the next day. Like we would eat just like just the, the best meal you get. It's just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Like, and then there was no, like, there was set time where she started dinner, but there wasn't like people would roll in and out all day. Like, people would come in, they'd leave, and uncle would come in with a couple of kids, he'd leave. So, like, just when you're ready to leave at four o'clock, like another set of cousins would come. Next thing you know, you're there at eight o'clock and we're getting pizza. It was like 40 people rotating in and out through any given Sunday, which was uh, really, really cool. And then it was so crazy where you would sit at the table and I want more chicken cutlets. You'd get up to go to where the chicken cutlets were at the table across the kitchen. And then you'd come back, someone's sitting in your chair and like they're not getting up. Then you take someone else's seat when they get up. There's no formality. It's just all chaos. So it was great. That's probably the biggest memory of my childhood, like hanging out with my cousins at my grandparents' house and stuff like that. We're all big Eagle fans. And wow. we watched the Eagles and every game was like the Super Bowl. And we're yelling and screaming. My 80-year-old grandmom's screaming at the TV with the Eagles. So it was cool. That's probably like the collage of memories kind of go into that. Like you go around that, that time frame. That's fabulous. And around that same age, around that same age, what were the stories that were influencing you, affecting you? Movies, TV, books. Well, I know I was not a reader back then, so it would not have been a book. Books came much later in, in my life, so I can't say there would be any books at the time. What affected me at that time? You know, I, I remember the Sixers winning the first championship. I thought the 76ers with Dr. J. He was like my childhood Julius idol. Irving. Yeah, he was nice. like my he was like my childhood idol growing up the doc. And uh, that when they won the championship when I was real little, like I, that, that floored me. It was like a lot of sports. Yeah, it was stuff like that. It was very surface. It was nothing really deep. I love baseball. I love the Phillies. I remember crying when the Phillies lose in the playoffs at that age. Like I was not that deep of a thinker back then. And that was probably the main things that like had my attention. And as you evolved and grew, do you remember who or what sort of invited you to submerge? a little deeper, invited you to reflect a little more, invited yeah. you to say why a little louder? Yeah. So I'll just go quickly in phases. I went to an all Italian grade school. You had to be Italian to go there from first to eighth grade, right? Right outside of Philly. So wow. at eighth grade, I thought the whole world was Italian. Like I thought we had one wow. kid that had red hair in school, but he was like half Italian. So he was there. And then we had one family that adopted maybe a, a boy from Korea or something. And he had an Italian last name, but he was in the school. You know what I mean? But it, so besides that, everyone was dark hair, dark eyes, not that tall. <laughs> and, <laughs> all right. And sorry. All right. But all had parents that could really cook well. And they're all, all characters. And, and, and so right around eighth grade, the first- it Smelled thing, a lot like garlic. Yes. Yeah. 
So we go, we leave eighth grade and we go to the high school. And I'm like, wow, like right around early March, I'm like, what are all these green clovers doing on the wall? What are, what are these? Like, and they're like, that's St. Patrick's Day. I'm like, what is St. Patrick's Day? And they're like, I didn't know it was a holiday. I heard of St. Patrick. I didn't know there was a holiday. People drink and celebrate like zero of that from first to eighth grade. Like I hung out with my cousins. We're all Italian. Like there was no St. Patrick's Day at ninth grade. Like n- never heard wow. of St. Patrick's Day. Didn't know it, didn't know it existed. So like th- that kind of opened my mind. I was like, wow, everyone's not Italian. There, there, are, there are tall people, like stuff like that. You know what I mean? Wow. And people are all over six foot. That, I say the second one is when I went away to college. I went to an awesome school. I went to Bloomsburg University State College in PA. Met some of the okay. greatest people in my life there. And when you got there, it just it opened my mind up to music. Uh, I was kind of like a top 40 guy before I went there. Now I, I went to classic rock and it was great. It just met, I met some of the best people in my life there and still lifelong friends are still keep in touch with. And yeah, so that was probably the next, the next level. Like just each level kind of opened my mind up a little bit more like anyone else. It's a journey. And uh, it wasn't like a, a, an epiphany of all at once. I'm like, oh, this is the way. Like it was just slow, iterated steps. Then, then like after college, I got an apartment with my college roommates. We moved in, into the city and that, that opened up a whole nother world. Like it was just step by step by step. So it's kind of like built, you know what I mean? You, you build a house step by step by step. And, and that's like brick kind of fell the podcast. There's no like big, like there wasn't like a D-Day invasion where I took the beaches and now oh, we're, we're going to win. It was more like constant iterations over a long period of time. Nice. I want to explore that, that builtness a little bit in terms of your vocation, in terms of what you do for, for your profession. So what do you do, Joe? And how did you come to do that? Right now, I lead a sales team for a medical sales company. I'm a district manager. So I have like sales professionals under me, cover three states, cover uh, parts of PA, New Jersey, and New York. And I think part of the built, not born like mindset where I think it came from is I started out as an accountant. I got an accounting degree from college, started my career in public accounting. And uh, there was a small point in the 90s, might've been mid to late 90s, where I was the worst accountant in the state of Pennsylvania. Like it just wasn't for me. It, gotcha. wasn't for, it wasn't for me, but I went in and I just grinded it out and I just got through it. You know what I mean? It, it was just, I still had a little bit of a grind back then without, maybe without the curiosity. So I just grinded through, took a couple classes twice, which is unheard of in school. Like I would have to take two or three of the accounting classes twice because I didn't pass them or I got like yeah. a B and like, I'm taking it again. So I just took it again. And I just kept going till I hit the finish line. Like I just hit the finish line and collapsed over. I'm like, I academically, I just did. I had so much fun in college, but like the accounting just, it didn't click with me. And if I look back now, if I look at my transcript, I found an old transcript when we moved a few years back. And it's funny. Talk about not knowing yourself and picking the wrong major. I think there were like 12 classes, accounting classes you had to take to get your accounting degree. Uh-huh. All of them were C's and B, maybe a B. I don't even think I got an A in any of them. They're all B's, C's, and a couple D's. But if you take the other classes like marketing, public speaking, where I kind of naturally tend to roll to, like my interest, history, and all that stuff, all A's and B's, accounting, all B's and C's, and a couple D's right to take over. So I just didn't know myself then. I had an uncle who was an accountant. He looked like he was doing really well. He was really successful. I just want to do what he does. And I didn't even know what he did. I just knew he made a lot of money and had a big house. I'm like, I want to do what you do. So I just took it because he was an accountant without even thinking like, can I spend the day with you? What do you do? What's an average day look like for you? Nothing like that. I'm like, he's an accountant. I don't know what they do, but I want to be one because he has a big house and him and his family are really happy. 
Oh man, I love that. And somehow you got to a different set of questions, right? I mean, through Bloomsburg, through the whole thing, through better music than the top 40 (laughs) and the works. That's good. Hey, so I guess to finish that off, yeah, go for it. I left it at the 50 yard line there. So what I did is at some point I went into sales and when I went into sales, I knew nothing, kind of talked my way into the job and I knew nothing. And I knew that I would not survive. I was selling radio airtime, like literally the restaurants, shady mortgage lenders, like restaurant owners. I'd get an appointment with a guy who owned a restaurant and like literally he'd blow smoke in my face, like too expensive and I'd walk out of the room, like really shady sales. Like trying to sell radio sponsorships to these mom and pop shops to get them on the air. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And they literally just handed me the phone book. Like, here, here you go. They might've gave me like an hour of like, Hey, you might want to do this. You might want to do that. Like no real mentorship or anything. Great group of people, but it wasn't really a a, a training program when I needed at 25 years old. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I have to train myself. Then that's when the love of books, courses, like curiosity. I'm like, how does this guy, this guy kills it. What does he do? Can I deconstruct what he does that make it my own where I can take his ideas and, and use it in my world? Wow. So that's basically where that started, probably 25, 26 years old. Wow. It's a big transformation. So now what's your vision of success, your definition? You know what? I think right now my one word of success is freedom. If I can do what I think that needs to be done, I think that's a really good life. I have a role, a job, responsibilities, and I'm going to do them to the best of my ability, but let me do them in the manner I think they need to be done. Like if I'm micromanaged, I shut off. Like you, you're all over me. Mm-hmm. We'll have a conversation. But like, if you say, Hey, I, I need these three things done in a month, a week, a year. I mean, check in on me. Let's keep in touch. Let's connect. I'll update you. If I'm struggling, I suck at spinning my wheels. Like I will get help instantly. I'm the guy that if my tooth hurts, I'm right to the dentist. I don't like struggling with problems. I love to fix things, right? Or at least get them better than they were. Like I throw everything in the kitchen sink at something that I think that needs to be fixed. You know, Joe, that if you throw a kitchen sink at somebody, then you've got a lot more that needs to be fixed. That's right. (laughs) That's true. I treat people that I work with how I would like to be treated, like real honest, short conversations, not a lot of long emails. Here's the goal. Here's one or two things we have to do. How do you feel about that? Do you need any help? How can I help you? Hey, let's check in on a week. Go get it. And I, I step back. I'm not like holding people's hands unless they say they needed help handled and I'm there. But if you're like, I got this, I, and if I think you got this, I let you go and we'll have a point to check in on a day or two, a week, a month to see how it's going, but treat people the way I'd like to be treated with a lot of space, a lot of freedom, but like a lot of support. When you need support, I make sure it's there. I got a follow-up to that. So you're, you're the manager, right? So you've got people who work, you're checking in with people like that. When you start to make choices about hiring people, how do you go about identifying folks that possess those qualities? Such a great question. I, I think if there's anything I got right in a couple of years I've been doing this is how I bring people in. And I stole this from a whole bunch of people. Like I can't take credit for it. I know that I have such a limited site and I'm biased of what I'm looking for. And I know I don't see everything and I have blind spots. So what I do is I find two, three, four people out of a group. You post a position, you'll get 50 resumes. First off, 
if I have an opening on the team, I will ask my current team members. There's no better recruiter than the current people on my team that know the culture and how we operate. I always throw it out there. Who do you think would thrive in this environment? Who do you think would want to be here? Who do you think would bring positive energy and get the job done and want to be part of us? And more times than not, probably almost 30% of the team came from referrals and every one of them's worked out. Every one of them's mm. been solid. So I get like-minded people that know the culture and the habits and the way we operate. If they say this person's fit, like they go to the top of the pile. But then, okay. if, and, but then I would get, just say I got like two, three people. I do an interview. If I'm like, you know what? This person has some potential. I literally have them interview with everyone on the team. And it might be coffee. It could be lunch. It could be a 20-minute Zoom call. But everyone has a touch point over two weeks. So if I'm interviewing someone, I'm going to see how bad they want to join the team. I literally give them every person's contact information on the team. Here's everyone's cell phone. Right. And I'll say your job over the next two weeks, we're going to meet in three over the next two weeks is to have a conversation or get together your call, whatever geographically speaking works, reach out to all other people on the team. Again, coffee, zoom, just a phone call, whatever works in their lives. Right. And then Mm -hmm. at the end, without telling anyone else on my team, what I'm thinking and who I like, I'll say, what'd you think of John? What'd you think of Nicole? And I would have them tell me and almost almost 100% of the time. It's like 80% will lean one way to one person. So anyway, I use the village and everyone's brain power because every collectively is way stronger than individually. So I use everyone else, what they see, what they heard, what they uncover. Because it's so crazy. Like if you and I, I'm sure you guys all seen this. If you and I have an interview, like you're interviewing me, I'll give you my A game, my ties up, whatever it is. I'm giving you my A game. But like maybe my fourth call with, with, um, Johnny in Central Jersey, who you're talking to, you're like done with the facade and you're just you. Maybe he catches you on a day, you have two cups of coffee in you, and the guy's just talking. And they're like, you know, he said this, you know, he fought with his last two managers, you know, he's on a, you know, it's something you hear crazy stuff comes out the third, fourth time, right? And then I'm mm-hmm. like, that's all I needed to hear. Good, out, perfect. So it kind of has a better <laughs> job of flushing stuff out, mm-hmm. the good and the bad. That's great. I'll leave it at that. Speaking of ties, Somehow a Philly kid is wearing a Texas t-shirt. What, where did that come from? <laughs> I usually coordinate my t-shirts for the guest that's on. And you know what? This is just a shirt I put on today. I, I took a tour of the University of Texas right before COVID. It was an awesome university. I thought it was super cool. And I bought a shirt and it's just, I love the color and I, it's a shirt I wear all the time. But yeah, just uh, love Austin and love, love the college. It's a super cool college. It's great. My attention is really on this. It sounds like you're creating a family at work, not just, you know, that team, that sense of community and connectedness. I hear a real value on a harmonious environment for the people that you're working with. Hmm. You have, you have a kid who is about to go off to college. Hmm. What are the values you want to impart to the next generation of your family? Great questions. What values would I want to pass on to my kids? I think it's two words. I think it's courage and kindness. They're if I had to boil it down to two, have the courage to be who they are, to pursue tough things that you may fail at, but eventually that would bring you to another level. Like don't always play it safe. Have some courage to try things, change careers, ask that guy or girl out. No courage, no nothing. And then kindness. It's so easy to be mean to people. 
It's so it's so easy. I love this Jeff Bezos line. He's in an interview and he was in the car with his grandparents. I think Bezos tells a story and his grandmother said something the wrong way or mispronounced the word. And he said something that was sarcastically funny. And a few people laughed in the car, but then his grandmother wound up crying or was really upset. Uh-huh. And his grandfather pulled him aside, the way I remember the story. He said, listen, Jeff, it's much better to be kind than funny. You know, so err on the kindness. So like sarcastic, I think when I was much younger, I was really sarcastic. I still got that in me. There's no doubt. And when I get myself in trouble is when I see something and I say something that's funny and and it kind of cuts someone up or something that someone does up where a few people laugh, but that you could tell when you said it, another person didn't take it the right way. I feel so bad. It's like, I I feel bad now. Mm -hmm. So I have to hold back my sarcasm. And I think where that comes is that growing up in that Italian family, if we wind back to 12 years old, at that grandmom's dinner table, there was a whole bunch of us, we shredded each other. Like we crushed each other. Like we were so haircuts, we cut up their outfits, we cut up, we cut up the way we spoke, way we ate, way we walked, way we talked. And that's the way we showed we were part of the crew. Like we were, we were like one, like you're part of, when they cut you up and made fun of you, you were one of them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. They wouldn't cut up somebody that they weren't fun. And I just take that. And I used to bring that out into the world and that just didn't always play right, you know? So like, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I still purposely now I have to purposely dial in. If I see something and I'm ready to say something like this is, you're talking to a, like a high energy little Italian guy that used to watch too much Howard Stern, Saturday Night Live, Robin Williams, Chris Rock. Like I have all those lines bouncing in my head and I just got, I can't say that line. Just let it go. It might've been funny, but that might be hurtful if you said it. So I know yeah. that like, that sarcasm doesn't play. Wow. So you've just shared with us a few things about this, but I wonder if you could reflect a little on how do you and your wife model courage and kindness? I'll start off with my wife because she's better at both of them than me. Courage, my wife is she's the one with the letter. She's the smart one. She's got all the letters after her name. She's her name's Dawn. And she has she's a low vision occupational therapist. She has 17 letters after her name. And um <laughs> she she uh, Dawn. Yep. And she literally through COVID where everyone's like, hey, we're virtual, we're home, everyone's in their pajamas, everyone's doing Zoom calls, right? She was in a clinic in the inner city treating patients with like degenerative eye diseases. And most of them are COVID wow. positive. Um, they're coming from very underserved areas. They're all mostly Medicaid patients and they're all like diabetic, like macular degeneration. And she's in there, double masked gown, maybe goggles, sometimes gloves in there in a small exam room. They're not wearing their mask properly. The mask is down below their nose or they just have it around their chin. Like they do the old beard net. They have it around their ears, but it just goes around their chin. Like they have a mask sort of. Uh-huh. And, it, uh-huh. and she did that for two years during the pandemic, even pre-vaccine, literally like all the physicians and healthcare workers do like Lily runs in and like all like changes in her car and throws all her clothes in a trash bag and throws them in the washer. As soon as she walks in, like one of those things during COVID, like it was that. She sounds amazing. Yeah. So it's, her courage is way, way beyond what I had to do for my job and kindness. She's way kind. So I, I have to work on being kind at times. She is naturally kind and empathetic. Like mm. if you come to her with a story, Nick, I could be like, that's nonsense. Why, why is the guy struggling with that? Come on. And she'd be like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. How can I help? Like she's instantly empathetic, instantly kind. So like I learned so much with courage and kindness through her. 
So like, I'll use her as an example. Like I'm still a work in progress. She kind of naturally does that and does it at a level way higher than I do. How did you guys meet? They say the, uh, you never meet a good girl in the bar. Like I'm definitely the exception there. (laughs) We actually met this really cool bar in Philly. It was the Irish pub 20th and Walnut. We met through a mutual friend. And um, it's pretty funny. I, my buddy, uh, we were going, big, big group of us were going out. He goes, oh, we're going to meet a girl out. And, and she was the girl he was meeting out. And then at the end of the night, I go to him, hey, man, she is really cool. That's awesome. He goes, good job. He goes, ah, I'm not really into her. I'm like, can I call her? I ask her for her number and she, she blows me off. Doesn't give it to me. I'm like, oh, my God. And, and again, like, you talk about grit and grind and built and step. I had to ask, then I asked again, and then it kind of faded. And then I, I, there was literally the same guy ran into her at another bar when I wasn't with him. And he goes, I'll put a good word in for you. I think you should call her again. And then I call her again. And then we went on a date. Literally, this one dude is the reason I think we're married. So definitely, I'm uh, totally grateful for him. That's so cool. Okay, Joe. I So you, given what you've described about your childhood and the kind of family you grew up in, it sounds to me like you could have easily been a person that stuck with your own kind, that just kept amplifying the re- the resonance chamber of life, but you broke out of it. Uh, you And just the friendship that you've developed with Boston and I is one of those things where you just you you kept you reaching out. You kept being open. You were open to us. You were open to be to be influenced by us. In addition to influencing us, absolutely. How does someone who could so easily stay as an insider grow into someone who embraces outsiders? I don't know if I've ever thought that deeply about it, but I just realized like the best version of me is on that other side. I just feel that I, I see what it's like when you try new things. Like I love change. And my wife's the same way. We always say like, people are like, oh my gosh, they changed the way we do it at work or we changed what they're doing. Like we love change. Like, cool. Let's try something new. Like we are, lo- we get so bored so fast. My wife and I of doing the same thing over and over again. Like we change things all the time where we go on vacation. Like some people go to the same place every year in the same spot. We just bounce around. We go to different places. We like, we're always trying. We just love change. I find other people fascinating. Like this is the most I talked about myself in 10 years. I love asking the questions and learning about people. And after I speak for about 30 seconds, I must be the salesperson in me. I'm like, dude, shut up and ask a question. Like in my head, like literally I have an internal clock. All right. You just spoke for 20 seconds straight shut up and ask them a question and get them more involved in the conversation. Either I program myself that way, or I had an inclination to that. And I kind of worked myself into that just innately and, or just like nature and nurture. I nurtured myself that way. I'm naturally curious on what are you doing? How are you doing it? Then selfishly, how can I steal something you're doing to make it my own, incorporate in my life, make my life better, stronger, faster, easier. You know what I mean? More effective. I think I got my next t-shirt. Dude, shut up and ask a question. <laughs> Dude, shut up and ask a question. That is the best. That's like uh, Ted Lasso, right? Uh, you know, be curious, not judgmental. What a great show. What a great nice. show. Okay, Boston. 
I have one more question. You're talking about, you mentioned COVID-19 and what that was like for your wife and that time. What is the biggest lesson you have taken out of the last couple of years, the COVID shutdown and everything that came out of it? Such a great question. I think two things. One, there's nothing more powerful than the present moment. And one second, one second. I'm sorry. I got my, my son playing Xbox next to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Could, you, could you ask that question one more time? I'm sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought. So what, is, good. what is the biggest lesson you've taken out of the, co- the COVID-19 shutdown and everything that followed? Yeah, yeah. I think this is one of my favorite questions to ask on the podcast. I asked something similar, but one, there is nothing more important or profound than the present moment. Right here, right now is worth a thousand yesterdays and a million tomorrows because all you have is the present moment and you don't know what's going to happen next week, next month, next year, even 20 minutes from now. So just embrace the moment, appreciate the moment, live in the moment, focus in the moment. I've really tried my best to get better at that. And I found the more I do that, the better my life is. And then secondly, you don't need that much to be happy. When the, the gyms were shut down and the jujitsu schools were shut down and you couldn't fly. Well, granted, it wasn't the greatest time in anyone's life, but there was nothing like taking a long walk with your kids, right? In the middle of the day when everything shut down and you're supposed to quarantine, you're supposed to be six feet apart and there's no vaccine. Like we would go for the longest walks. We would go for, we, we rediscovered bike rides. We all bought bikes and we would go for 10 mile bike rides together. We would sit up, we'd actually even have reading hour. Like we're so bored, like everyone's locked in their house, like shelter in place, whatever you were during the really bad times. We would go outside with our winter coats and sunglasses and we would read for an hour. Everyone pick their own book, don't even have to talk. Let's just go outside and read together. And some days it worked out, some days it didn't, but like you didn't need that much to be happy. You know what? It was a pretty good day. We went for a bike ride, went for a walk, we read a good book. You know what I mean? We cooked dinner, we hung out, like you didn't need that much. So it's like very simple things make, can make you happy. And there is nothing like the present moment. I guess they're the two things I took out of COVID. That seems like a beautiful place to, to leave us. Joe, congratulations on 60 episodes, 60 episodes <laughs> of your podcast that you've made. You you have given so much to your community, so much to to us, and I am. We one are of the not worthy. I, <laughs> we're not worthy. <laughs> one of the things I love so much about podcasting is how it brings people together in so many different ways. Learning it, sharing your own voice, amplifying other people's voices. I deeply appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with the two of you today, and that we have this ongoing connection around podcasting, and around friendship and life. So Joe Chikarone, Corey Schlosser-Hall, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Wow, for me too. For me wow. too. Joe, we, are, we really are not worthy. 60 episodes. Holy Moses. Keep going, man. Thank you. Boston, Corey, guys, I'd just like to thank you. I would still not be doing this. It wasn't for you guys. I've called each of you multiple times with the craziest questions. You've got all of your advice has been spot on. Your encouragement has been incredible. I learned something each time each of us talk, we text, you guys send voice texts to me. I ask you questions. I learned from your example and I appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. So glad we got connected and so glad we got this thing going and let's keep it rolling. Dude, shut up and ask a question. I love it. (laughs) That's my favorite.
Yeah, if you if, if you decide to uh, when you create your audiogram or drop that at the very beginning of an episode, dude, shut up and ask a question. <laughs> that is gold. <laughs> so golden. So good. <laughs> If you need another podcast, that could be your title too. Shut up and ask a question. It's funny. I didn't even realize I said that till you brought it back to me. I didn't know I phrased it that way, but yeah, that's that's the battle I'm fighting inside my mind. Hey, this has been such a blessing, you guys. I love it. Thank you so much, you guys. Much respect. I appreciate you guys. Have a great one, fellas. See you guys. You too. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Boston. Blessings, you guys. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. It's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast listening app, or better yet, share the episode with a friend. That really goes a long way of helping the podcast grow and connecting it with a bigger audience. Thanks so much. Talk soon.